0: We are so glad that you're with us tonight. Uh, It's just an honor and a privilege to be able to be with you in this way. We're thankful for technology that the Lord has given us that we can continue to gather together even in a virtual way during this time and this season. I want to welcome some of those that are joining us from around the world tonight. We have Argentina, Australia, Austria, Belgium, Belize, Brazil, Canada, Denmark, Finland, France, Germany, Holland, India, Ireland, Israel, of course, Kenya, Mexico, Nigeria, Norway, Philippines, Poland, Scotland, I haven't heard this one before, Seychelles, uh, Singapore, Slovakia, South Africa, Sweden, Switzerland, Taiwan, the United Kingdom, the United States, and Zimbabwe. So wherever you are tonight around the world, we are glad that you're with us right now. We pray that you have sensed the presence of the Lord as we have worshipped him. We pray that this has been encouraging to you, as Pastor Wayne said, uh, that as we've read the Parashah, that you will dwell and allow those words to soak in this week. And tonight we're going to jump into a new series. Before we do that, though, I want to just say thank you to uh, Thais Shukman, who is ...on the worship team with us again tonight. Thais, we are so grateful for her gift and for her coming to serve with us. The, again this week, Tais is the worship leader for uh, Shem Sasson, another community here in Jerusalem. Pastor Yonatan and their leadership team were grateful that Tais is able to be with us... ...and to use her gifts and her talents to worship the Lord with us and serve our community tonight. So thank you, Thais, for being with us. So, without further ado, tonight we're going to jump into a new series... And this series is titled, Transforming Power. And The theme is really, it's something that I'm really excited about. I think it's timely, I think it's important. You could say that the subject matter is dynamic. And I'm going to use that as a very clever way to transition to a word we're going to look at tonight. Because the word dynamic is related to another Greek word that we're actually going to look a little bit more deeper into tonight. And that Greek word is dynamis, and it's translated to us as power. It's God's ability to perform an activity. It's it's his power. And we see this word in our key text tonight. So let's turn there. If you'll open your Bibles, if you'll open your devices, whatever you're going to be reading the word of God from tonight, if you go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 16. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. And while you're turning there, I just want to say that we're f- going to be focusing in this series on the transforming power of God. And that's what we're going to be focusing on. So again, Romans chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verse 16. And this is what it says. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God. There's that word, power, dynamus of God for salvation To everyone who has faith, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Now here in this passage, the Apostle Paul declares that the gospel message itself is the dynamis, the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. First, given to the Jewish people, and then then on to the Greeks, or to those that are non-Jewish. And he says... That the gospel message is, is actually the outworking of God's ability to save. It's, it's the outworking, the, the, it's coming to pass. Now a little bit of context to this passage in Romans. And I want to answer the question, why is Paul saying that he's not ashamed of this gospel message? Well Paul was, he declares in the opening of this letter to the Romans. Remember he's writing to the believers in Rome. And in the opening of his letter, he declares that he's eager to visit Rome, and he's eager to share the gospel message with the people there in Rome. And also remember that at this time in history, Rome is the center of power and authority. It's, it's the center of where what was the known world is being ruled from in this time. So it's the center of power as we would understand it in a physical idea the center of power and authority in the world. And what Paul is really, I think, conveying here is he's saying, even in this city of great worldly power and authority, the gospel message that he has would bring the power of God to salvation. So I'm not afraid to come even to Rome and to present this message because it is the power of God. It's transforming. Now, in chapter 1 again Paul details for us what this gospel message is. So let's let's look at this real quick. It's in Romans again chapter 1 beginning in verse 1. He says this, Paul himself a slave of the Messiah Yeshua called as an apostle and singled out for God's good news or gospel. That's what gospel translates to is Good news, which he promised long ago through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son, Yeshua, the Messiah, our Lord, who has a who was a descendant of David according to the flesh and who has been declared to be the powerful son of God by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness. So he, he gives us that. The context of his message of the gospel is that Yeshua, the Messiah, he was a descendant of David. He was sent as he was prophesied in the prophets and the holy scriptures, and that he came in the flesh and he was declared to be the powerful Son of God by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness. Now, it is my belief that the good news or this gospel message concerning the Messiah, specifically his coming, His death and most importantly his resurrection according to the scriptures has lost its significance today for many people that would profess to believe or be followers of Yeshua. In a way it would seem and I'm saying seem it would seem as though it has lost its power. But you see for the apostle paul this message is the power of god for salvation it it was and it continues to be i was looking at some statistics And and I found a recent poll, and this is an American poll, so this is American evangelical Christians, or people that would consider themselves, that were polled, consider themselves to be American evangelical Christians. Listen to this. 52% said that they reject the concept of absolute truth. 75% believe people are basically good. 48% believe salvation can be earned by good works. Let me read that again. 48% believe salvation can be earned by good works. 43% believe Yeshua may have sinned. Now again, this may not be reflective of the wider world. I'm sure the statistics would skew in different parts of the world, but I believe in many of the historic nations with a Christian history, or a Christian past, unfortunately this statistic is probably true or even maybe even worse than what I just read to you. Now these statistics and posts from Christian musicians and worship leaders, and this troubled me a lot actually as I was thinking about this concept and what this tension that's taking place, these musicians and leaders who in the last few years have come out and said they declared that they no longer believe in God. And it presents us with this tension in regards to the gospel message we have received. It saddens me in a way to hear people. It makes me question, what, what is it that you believed? Who was it that you followed? What was the message that you heard? Where was the power? And that's the question I want to get to Tonight. Because again, all of these people and the statistics I just gave you at some point professed an acceptance of the gospel message or at least some semblance of the gospel message. So what happened? Now I understand in our world today that it's considered more correct to encourage people to find their own path, not to discourage their quest for truth. Please understand, I am all for the pursuit of truth and the understanding of the truth. But it is my belief, and hear me tonight, it is my belief that to walk away from God, to say that I no longer believe in God, to walk away from God is to walk away from the truth. It's to walk away from the truth. I can't imagine the Apostle Paul encouraging his young disciple Timothy to say, hey, Timothy, it's okay, just find your own path. Search your own truth. Especially when he faced doubts or concerns as a leader, as he was leading the community in Ephesus. In fact, we know that Paul did exactly the opposite of that. He warned Timothy, in fact, of what would come in the future. As Timothy was serving in Ephesus, Paul sent him two letters, and in his second letter, 2 Timothy Paul encourages Timothy. He said this in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 13, "Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you've heard from me and the faith and love that are in Yeshua the Messiah." He continues in verse in chapter 2 verse 8, he encourages Timothy keep he encourages Timothy to keep his attention on Yeshua the Messiah as risen from the dead. This is key. Keep your attention on Yeshua the Messiah as risen from the dead. That's Second Timothy two eight. He continues, encourages Timothy to reject foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they are they just breed quarrels. That's Second Timothy chapter two, twenty-three. Now the issue that was happening was there were some in the community that were teaching doctrinally something different than what The apostle Paul had taught and what the other apostles were teaching, especially in regards to the resurrection and the coming of the Lord. And this was confusing people. And so this encouragement from Paul is that he's expressing his desire for Timothy to remain true to the message that he received. And he continues in uh, chapter two, verse 24, he informs Timothy that the Lord's servant must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness and so he's asking timothy be faithful to teach the truth the same things that you've learned and teach those with gentleness and patience and then paul comes to a warning and i want to read this with you tonight in second timothy chapter three. three second timothy chapter three beginning in verse one and paul says this to, to timothy but know this Difficult times will come in the last days for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, but listen to this, but denying its power. And then he says, avoid such people or avoid these people. So he warns Timothy that there will come a time where people will have an outward appearance of godliness in what they say, maybe even in what they do outwardly or what they do in public. But he said, they will deny the power of true godliness. Ultimately, they will not be changed. Remember, our title of the series is Transforming Power. And Pastor Chad next week is going to continue in this series, and he's going to look at that transformation a bit more. But what I want us to understand from this particular passage tonight is that there will come a time when people will look like they have faith in God, but... They will not be receptive of God's power. They will not be receptive of God's power because reception of God's power means change. Something has to change. They will lose faith in the ability of the message of Yeshua to change things. Let me say that again. They will lose faith in the ability of the message, the gospel, to change things. The the that power of God and his ability to act and to do things. Here's a key point. And if if you don't hear anything else I say tonight, please hear me. Please lean in at this moment and, and listen to what I'm about to say. The good news, the gospel concerning Yeshua, his coming, his death and resurrection are the truth of God concerning God's plan for the salvation and the eternal redemption of humanity. It is his truth. It is his outworking of truth in the world. And to deny its power, to deny the power of this message is to consider God powerless. Hear me tonight. Why? Because it was God himself who gave power to the message of Yeshua. It was God himself who raised Yeshua from the grave. The truth of the gospel is the power of God For salvation. And this message is not just about giving us a better understanding of God. It's not just about a message of forgiveness of sins. It carries a transforming power that makes us a new creation in Him. In Acts chapter 1, Yeshua was speaking to his followers before he ascended to heaven, and he said to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this is the same Greek word, dinamis, that was used in Romans chapter 1. That they would receive God's ability to perform and to act, to be his witnesses in the earth and to pass that message on. To other people, uh, Jay Fitzmyer wrote in his uh, commentary on the book of Romans. He said this: Whenever the gospel is proclaimed, God's power becomes operative and succeeds in saving. His power thus catches up human beings, and through the gospel brings them to salvation. This is essential. All this is the essential, all important theme that Paul announces. That salvation comes to all through faith. And as it's used, this word of power in Romans 1.16, it's, the phrase formulates the dynamic character of God's gospel. The word may announce the death and resurrection of Yeshua the Messiah, but the emphasis, listen to this, but the emphasis is on that word as a force of power unleashed in human history. That the power of this message was the power of God unleashed, released into human history. Paul himself was transformed by this message. He went from being someone who found it his duty to find people who followed Yeshua, who professed faith in Yeshua, and to persecute them, to lock them up, to being one of the greatest advocates and teachers of it. In fact, he was so far on the other side of the other, of the other spectrum that it took a long time for the apostles and the disciples to actually believe that he was transformed because he was so far on the other side. What a testimony to the transformational power of the gospel and the truth of who Yeshua is. So what are we to do? Are we truly living in this power of God, this great power that was unleashed in human history? And if not, how do we begin to live in this power? Well, Paul gives us the starting point if we go back to our text in Romans chapter one. For he says this, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith to the Jew first, then also to the Greek. The starting point was faith. This is how we live in this power. We have faith, but faith in what? It's faith to believe that God is able to do the things that he said and he promised to do. It is faith to believe that God will do the things that he has promised to do. You see, when we acknowledge the dynamis, this power of God to act and to accomplish his purposes, this power activates revelation in us, which enables us to see things from God's perspective. And I want to look at this a little bit more tonight, especially in the life of Yeshua's disciples You see, faith enables us to view the world around us through the eyes of God's redemptive power. And we are convinced that this power cannot be overcome. I'm gonna say that again. Faith enables us to view the world around us through the eyes of God's redemptive power and we become convinced, we are convinced that this power cannot be overcome overcome i want to illustrate this through a story on the day of yeshua's crucifixion as his followers were there they were seeing his body taken down from the cross and they saw his body placed in a tomb what the disciples saw in that moment was an end something final death and they were what do we do now we don't who's going to lead us what, what do we believe and so for them their vision at that point in time was of something ending something final but through the eyes of God's redemptive power what God saw was the beginning of something new Now, they couldn't see it at that point, but what God saw was the beginning of something new. Prior to his resurrection, they were generally afraid. In fact, we know that they hid, they fled at his arrest after Peter takes an ear off one of the police <laughs> and Yeshua heals him and says, Peter, put away your sword. They flee, and Peter himself denies the Lord three times as the Lord had told him he would. They were afraid. But after his resurrection, and after the, the coming of the Holy Spirit at Shavuot, something was very, very different. And I want to look at this transformation. Again, we see them before his death. And now let's look at him, look at these disciples after his resurrection, after the Holy Spirit comes. I want you to look, we're going to go to Acts, we're going to pick up in chapter 4, but let me give you a little background here from the story, which begins actually in Acts chapter 3. This is a story of Peter and John and they're going to the temple. They're going to pray. And on their way, as they come to the temple gates, there's a lame man there begging. The, The account in Acts says that he had been there, he had been lame from birth, he was brought there every day to to beg, so people knew him, they would see him every day, people knew he was lame, and Peter and John, as they come, they they have compassion, and they heal this lame man, and a crowd begins to gather at this miracle, because people are like, wow, this guy's been lame his whole life, we know him, what what has happened, and, and a crowd begins to gather, and Peter seizes the moment, and he's he's emboldened and he begins to to share to teach the people and he begins to speak to the crowd about Yeshua and his death and his resurrection and it was his power that healed this lame man and so now that brings us to chapter 4 we're going to read now chapter 4 beginning in verse 1 And it says, Now, as they were speaking to the people, the priests, the commander of the temple, police, and the Sadducees confronted them because they were provoked that they were teaching the people and proclaiming the resurrection from the dead, using Yeshua as the example. So they seized them and put them in custody until the next day, since it was already evening. So Peter and John are taken into custody, held overnight. It tells us in the next verses that because of Peter and the other disciples speaking out, that 5,000 men received their message that day. And Then the next day, there's a gathering. All of the rulers, elders, scribes assembled in Jerusalem with the high priest, the Caiaphas, and all the members of the high priestly family gather. They bring John and Peter before them, and they asked him this question, by what power or in what name have you done this? Isn't that interesting? By what power? And Peter again states that it was the person of Yeshua. He goes into that he was the stone that the builders rejected, that he was crucified, he was raised from the dead, and he goes into the story again. And then they send them away. And then in verse 15 of Acts chapter 4, it says this, And after they had ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves, saying, "Why? What should we do with these men? For an obvious sign, evident to all who live in Jerusalem, has been done through them. And we cannot deny it. However, so that this does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. So they called for them and ordered them not to preach or teach at all in the name of Yeshua. So they basically said, look, guys, you can say whatever you want. Just don't talk about him. (laughs) Don't preach in his name. Don't talk about his resurrection. You see, because the Sadducees were upset because, number one, they didn't believe in resurrection. So that was a problem for them. The Pharisees were upset because... Yeshua had repeatedly confronted them in front of the people and they were frustrated by this. And they had actually, I believe, hoped that his name would just kind of disappear from history after his death. And so they're telling John and Peter, just don't talk about him, don't talk about his resurrection and we'll leave you alone. And you can say whatever you want. But then, in verse 19, listen to this. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God, for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. So what changed in Peter and John? They were convinced of the things that they had seen with their own eyes, the things that they had witnessed. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a testimony that we have been given of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Yeshua from people, many of whom went to their death proclaiming this as the truth. Saying, this is what I saw with my own eyes. This is what I experienced. Also, the power of God had come upon them at Shavuot, And I believe at that point is when their vision changed and they were able to see the world around them through God's redemptive power. And they were convinced of God's power that it could not be overcome. And they were no longer, this is key, they were no longer afraid of physical death. They had no fear of death. As I was preparing this message, I was reminded about three years ago my mother uh, my family was gathered my mother was very ill and and we knew she was close and our family was together in my parents' home as she passed from this life to the next I was with my siblings my two brothers and my sister and my father we were singing songs with her and there was sadness there was tears but I'll tell you what was not present in that moment there was no fear There was no fear of what was to come. In fact, I remember my sister repeatedly saying to my mom, it's okay, mom, we're here. You can go. What's amazing about that and about this message is what we could see as her children in that moment, what all we could see in our physical eyes was something coming to an end. Her physical body ending. But through the redemptive eyes of God's power, what you could see was something new beginning. She was transformed. She was changed into something else. That's why there was no fear. Because it wasn't the end. It was the beginning of something new. You see, according to Paul, faith is the starting point. So do we have the faith in the power of God that is expressed through the message, the gospel message, the message of Yeshua? Listen to this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul said this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is God's Power Again, the same word to us who are being saved. He presents the same tension and challenge to the world around us and the physical. They see an end. It's foolishness to them. This is silly. It's a myth. It's a story. Whatever. It's foolishness. But for those who are being saved and who have put their faith in, that God's power will not be overcome. This message becomes God's power to us. In Philippians chapter three, and verse 10, Paul says, my goal is to know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, be conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from the dead. Paul's focus was to know Yeshua and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, not just in a general head knowledge. I read a book about that once. But with a full understanding that was worked out in his own life, that he would be conformed, that he would be transformed. Transformed. That this power would be active and working in his life. So when we see the world and we see the doubt and we see people questioning, we hear words like, "I, I don't believe. I don't believe in God anymore," or, or you know, well maybe this is true, maybe that's not true. Remember this, when we are frustrated by the world around us and our faith in the power of God is questioned, when what we think we see is something final, or something that's ending, in those moments we must remember that God's redemptive power often sees the beginning of something new. We must remember that the power of the gospel, this good news, which is transformational by its very nature, it has the power, hear me, it has the power to to take dead things and make them alive again. The challenges will come. The tensions will exist. But none of this can overcome the power of God at work in us. Especially when we embrace it, when we allow it to be at work in us, when we allow it to transform us. I want to look at one more story tonight that highlights for me this transformation or this change in the thinking of the disciples and it comes, the story is told in John chapter 4. And it's the story, I'm sure if you've read the Bible, you've heard this story. It's, it's the story of Yeshua speaking with a Samaritan woman. And I'll give us a little background and then we'll pick up in, in John chapter 4 verse 27. So Yeshua comes to this village. And he sees a woman that she's drawing water. And so he asks her for a drink. And this begins a discussion. And so he speaks to her about living water. A water that if someone has this water, they'll never thirst again. And and she says to him, well, hey, if that sounds like a good deal, give me that water. I don't have to keep coming here and getting water every day. And so he tells her to go call her husband. And she replies, I have no husband. And Yeshua says to her, you've said correct, for you've actually had five husbands. And this begins a further discussion, and actually this chapter of John is is, is very uh, full of some wonderful information. I've gleaned a lot about this in regards to worship and this discussion that Yeshua has with this Samaritan woman. So this this discussion happens, but I want to focus tonight, I want to bring us to verse 27 of John chapter 4, and it says this, so... This discussion ends with the Samaritan woman, and it says in verse 27 of John chapter 4, just then his disciples arrived, and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? So they thought it. <laughs> why is he talking to this woman? Number one, he's talking to a woman. Number two, she's a Samaritan. What in the world is he doing? But nobody said it. But that's what they were thinking. Now remember that at this point in history, Samaritans were considered outcasts, kind of, you know, the, the outcasts of, of God, yeah, whatever. Um, so this is the mindset. So number one, why is he talking to a woman why is he talking to a Samaritan woman? And then in verse 28, we read this: "Then the woman." left her water jar, went into town and told the men in the town, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and they they made their way to him. So she goes and she begins to Talk to the people in her town. Hey, you've got to come hear this guy. She begins to be the evangelist in a way. <laughs> you've got to hear this guy. And so the people begin to make their way to Yeshua. So while this is happening, the disciples are trying to get Yeshua to eat something. Oh, Lord, eat something. Please take some food. And then in verse 34, listen to this tonight. Verse 34 of John chapter four, Yeshua says this, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Yeshua told them, don't you say there are still four more, four more months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Folks, hear this tonight because this is Yeshua speaking to all of us. Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields for they are ready for harvest you see again at this point in time the disciples only saw through natural eyes they didn't see the power the redemptive power of God at work they didn't see what Yeshua was seeing that there was people that needed to hear a message but then after his death After his resurrection, after the day of Pentecost, their eyes are opened. Exactly as Yeshua said in this passage. Open your eyes. Their eyes are opened to see the redemptive power at God at work in the world. And they are convinced, again, that this power cannot be overcome. And they do not fear death. They do not fear anything anymore in preaching this message. I want to just repeat this phrase one more time. When we are frustrated by the world around us and our faith in the power of God is questioned, when what we think we see is something final, in those moments we must open our eyes. We must remember that God's redemptive power often sees the beginning something new the same power that raised Yeshua from the grave is active today that same power has the ability to transfer and to transform you and me and if that's true that same power has the ability to transform other people it has the ability to transform communities. It has the ability to transform families. It has the ability to transform nations. It has never lost that power. And we want to live in that power. We sang a song tonight earlier. We were singing. It, It stuck with me. It said... If the fire that burned becomes an ember, my eyes can't see. I will remember your sacrifice for me. God, help us tonight. Let's pray tonight. Lord, we are grateful for your power. Lord, we are thankful for your redemptive work that you unleashed it in history for our sakes, God, that we could be brought in. Lord, in a way, we can't even begin to understand the scope and the magnitude of the power that you unleashed. It's as if you held the sea open for all of humanity and said, come, cross from death to life. God, we're thankful for that tonight. God, give us eyes that see. Let us walk in the power of the gospel message that Yeshua came, he died, he was resurrected. God, let us be convinced that this power exists today, that it's at work in us and it can change the world around us. Holy Spirit, continue to work in us. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your reminding us of these things. And we ask this, In the powerful and blessed name of Yeshua, amen.